0: Evidence obtained by the House Oversight Committee shows that several members of Joe Biden's family received millions of dollars worth of payments from foreign companies during the time that Biden was vice president. The payments, funneled through layers of shell companies in an apparent attempt to conceal their origins, came from adversaries of the United States, including Chinese nationals with direct ties to the Chinese Communist Party. The evidence paints a picture of influence peddling and the foreign corruption of a sitting vice president, who is now president. This should be the biggest story of the decade, garnering 24-7 coverage from every major media outlet. And yet, the legacy media is almost entirely silent. Today, I talk about what all of this signifies regarding the state of the American Republic. It's not good. Then, Tucker Carlson is moving his show to Twitter. A 20-year veteran Chicago prosecutor resigns, denouncing Soros backed Chicago DA Kim Fox, and the Democrats continue their attempts to benefit politically from the death of Jordan Neely. I'm Doug Wardlow, and this is Founding Principles. It is time to go on offense. This is Founding Principles with Doug Wardlow. On Wednesday morning, House Committee on Oversight and Accountability Chairman James Comer held a press conference detailing the committee's findings to date in its investigation into Biden family foreign corruption. The records and data uncovered by the committee point to a potentially massive influence peddling and payment for access scheme involving multiple members of the Biden family, including Joe Biden. During the time he was vice president, the House Oversight Committee subpoenaed four different banks for information on specific individuals and companies working with the Biden family and their business associates, and they have obtained thousands of bank records in response. According to a House Oversight Committee memorandum, the, quote, bank records show how the Biden family, their business associates, and their companies received over $10 million from foreign nationalist companies. The committee has identified payments to Biden family members from foreign companies while Joe Biden served as vice president and after he left public office. The money ended up in bank accounts of 10 different Biden family members, including Joe Biden's brother and his wife, Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden's wife and ex-wife, Bo Biden's wife, and three Biden grandchildren. And the payments came from foreign sources, notably including companies in China with very close ties to the CCP. The scale of the payments and corruption appears to be enormous. Indeed, the Biden family's banking activities led to the submission of 170 suspicious activity reports to the U.S. Treasury Department, most of them during Biden's tenure as vice president under Obama. Biden Associates set up over 20 different companies to accept the payments from the foreign national companies and shuffle the money around. 16 of them were set up during the time that Biden was vice president. This is obviously quite suspicious. Why did they need so many shell companies? Why shuffle money around? There's only one reasonable conclusion well, they were trying to hide something. It is thus pretty clear that Biden associates were basically attempting to launder money, setting up multiple layers of shell companies in a setup that was as complicated as possible in order to make the source of the payments more difficult to trace. Payments were made from one LLC LLC to another, and the ultimate payment source was wired to a Biden associate. Oversight Committee Chairman Comer remarked that the setup, quote, looks like an organized crime unit, and indeed it does. Comer further observed that We've never seen a presidential family receive these sums of money, especially from our adversaries. So, why was all this money being paid to Biden family members? Why the insane effort to hide the source of the payments? Well, there is no Biden family business to speak of, and it doesn't appear that the Bidens provided any actual goods or legitimate services or work in return for the payments. And the payments were indeed coming from adversaries of the United States, most notably from China. Indeed, Chinese nationals who work with and probably for the CCP paid millions of dollars to benefit the Biden family through the network of shell companies Biden Family Associates set up. Bank records and emails obtained by the Oversight Committee show that between August 2017 and October 2018, payments of over $4 million made their way from CEFC China Energy Chairman Ye Jianming through a network of shell companies to hire Hunter Biden-related companies while payments of over $75,000 made their way to James-Biden-related companies. Chairman Ye also paid Hunter a $1 million retainer fee for legal services in 2017, and he also gave Hunter a large diamond worth something around $80,000. So, who is Chairman Ye? Well, CEFC China Energy Chairman Ye Jinming is closely tied to the CCP, and it is widely rumored that he is also linked to China's military, the People's Liberation Army. Tellingly, the payments to Biden associates cease not long after Biden left the vice presidency, or at least most of them do. Given that fact, together with the complete lack of legitimate work and the fact that payments were coming from adversaries, including Chinese nationals linked to the CCP, there is only one reasonable conclusion. Biden and his family were indeed involved in a massive influence peddling scheme, selling the, CCP, selling the CCP nationals access to and influence over the then vice president of the United States. This is truly shocking stuff. News of evidence that the vice president of the United States was selling out his country to the communists in China should be the biggest top line above the fold headline in every newspaper in the United States. If the media were honest and interested in actual journalism, every major news network would be covering this story every hour around the clock, probing into all the documents and reporting out all the details from every possible angle. Indeed, if the media were honest and interested in actual journalism, then the media themselves would have been doing the work of uncovering the story, not leaving the investigative journalism to a committee of Congress. But of course, the legacy media are not at all honest. They are not at all interested in investigative journalism, or any sort of legitimate journalism for that matter. The legacy media have been saying that none of this happened while Biden was vice president. Now we know that that is simply not true. Biden continues to deny deny that anyone in his family received any money from China. Well, that's also been proven to be completely false. Biden continues to say he had no knowledge of any of this. That's just completely implausible. Members of the legacy media even said that the Republicans would never be able to obtain any bank records proving anything. Well, now we have the bank records. And the payments from the Chinese nationals to Biden associates have been confirmed. So have legacy media journalists issued mea culpas? Have they owned up to completely... Being totally wrong? Of course not. Well, what are they doing? Well, they are refusing to report on the story, of course. They are burying it. Only outlets like Epoch Times, Breitbart, and more conservative news sources are really reporting the story. The legacy media, meanwhile, by and large, well, they're breathless, breath, breathlessly reporting on the arrest of Republican Congressman George Santos. That's what they were doing yesterday. It's interesting that Santos was arrested on the same day that the Oversight Committee held its press conference reporting out its evidence of unprecedented foreign corruption of the executive branch. It's almost as if the arrest was timed to give the left-wing media something to focus on, a story they could use to preempt and bury the story of Biden family payments from China and other foreign nationals. I suspect that's exactly what happened. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of New York is probably full of Democrats and leftists, just like much of the rest of Biden's Justice Department. One thing is certain. The complete lack of coverage of the House Oversight Oversight Committee's press conference by the legacy media confirms beyond any shadow of a doubt that the legacy media are merely the propaganda arm of the Democrat Party, pushing out leftist talking points and dutifully ignoring all stories that might portray leftist political leaders in a bad light. But here's another important question. How is it that the legacy media can get away with this? How is it possible that such a large percentage of the public doesn't notice the fact that the legacy media only report facts and stories selectively, that the legacy media merely frames up left-wing talking points as if they were news, reporting them out while refusing to cover any story that doesn't push forward the left's agenda? There was a time, after all, when the American public wouldn't tolerate such a biased media, There was a time when the American public would immediately see through the left in its talking points and the ridiculous ruse where the media claim they are not biased. But during that time, many years in the past, Americans were taught in schools and in churches and in their homes how to think critically. Americans were taught about history, real history. Americans read Plato and Aristotle in the classics. We learned about the Judeo-Christian roots of our nation, and we studied civics and the Constitution, and we appreciated how exceptional America truly is. That American public of the past, steeped in our history, was sufficiently inquisitive and sufficiently concerned about the well-being of our society and our fellow man that they would reject today's sham media and mass. But now, kids are indoctrinated in government learning centers, fed a steady diet of anti-racism and propaganda that teaches them to hate America. They are told by the left and by popular culture that they should fear words, cower in the face of sentiments that make them feel in any way uncomfortable. The leftist indoctrination sends kids the message that humans are weak and that they have no agency. So don't bother to question the elites. Don't bother to question your betters, the media and the Democrats. They are your guardians, goes the leftist line. They will allow you to indulge in self-worship and shield you from anything that might distract you from focusing entirely on on your feelings and your pursuit of pleasure for pleasure's sake. And so the fact that the media feels that they can simply not report on evidence that an American vice president, now president, Was likely bought off by the Chinese Communist Party, that shows us how very far America has already fallen. And it shows us how much work we need to do to keep our republic. That work begins with the defense of free speech. We need to put an end to government censorship of conservative speech on social media platforms. We need to stand up for free speech as the linchpin of a functioning representative republic. We need to do everything we can to prevent the government from censoring or sponsoring certain messages and pushing them out through the vast apparatus of the federal government and its leftist media allies. And we need to support free speech platforms like Twitter. But even that won't be enough. Because a populace that is indoctrinated and conditioned to see themselves as weak and in need of protection and a populace that has been indoctrinated into leftism and worship of the self and a populace that lacks critical thinking skills, or even the desire to engage in any analysis of issues beyond what gratifies themselves at any given moment, well, that populace won't be able to take advantage of the freedom of speech, and it certainly can't sustain a Republican form of government. So it may be true, as Aristotle wrote, that democracy always devolves into tyranny. But there are things that we can do to stave off tyranny and save our freedoms for future generations. It begins by speaking truth. By educating our kids, our own kids, and keeping them out of government indoctrination centers, or at least carefully monitoring their education and taking pains to correct the misinformation being doled out in public schools. School choice is also incredibly important, perhaps the most important issue out there today. And so too is religious worship and education. Churches. Churches should be engaged in the issues of the day and also directly engaged in the education of children. If we don't hold the line, defend free speech, promote free speech platforms, fight popular culture, and stop leftist indoctrination of our children, then the left will eventually succeed at their ultimate goal, transforming the vast majority of Americans from individuals with freedom and agency into unthinking, pleasure-seeking serfs, slaves serving the interests of their leftist guardian masters. And now it's time for Behind the Headlines. Well, if you like the content that we're providing, please go ahead and like the video, subscribe to the channel. If you're listening to the audio podcast, give us a five-star rating. Doing each of those things helps us tremendously. Now on to behind the headlines. First up today, Tucker is back. Not at Fox News, of course. No, he's returning to the public eye on a much better platform, Twitter. Tucker has announced he'll be doing largely the same show that he's been doing for quite some time, I think six and a half years, but posting it straight to Twitter. Elon Musk responded to the news by saying Tucker is welcome on the platform, but noting that he will receive no special privileges. The community notes have been, that have been popping up on the platform will continue to apply to all regardless of political affiliation. Tucker's move to Twitter is great news, of course. Tucker is refusing to stop fighting for the conservative cause And Twitter is continuing its development as a true free speech platform, really the only big major free speech platform that there is. So Twitter's health and development and success is critical to the uh, success of the conservative cause. Now, Elon Musk is not perfect, of course. Indeed, I believe he's wrong on a number of important political issues. For example, his views on China and Taiwan are, are completely wrong. But he seems to truly want to prioritize free speech, and that's really important, because free speech is the linchpin of a successful representative republic. The early results of his takeover at Twitter have been truly great for the conservative cause and the fight to restore America to its founding principles. You know, free speech and religious freedom are listed as the first freedoms in the First Amendment for a reason. They are the the protected—the first thing the founders thought of when they were drafting the Bill of Rights was free speech and religious freedom, that's because if you don't have those two things, then the rest of the republic falls. Tucker Carlson and also Matt Walsh are going to be uploading their shows directly to Twitter. I think Matt Walsh is already doing that, potentially reaching new voters who otherwise wouldn't tune in to Fox or to the Daily Wire or Newsmax or any of the other conservative news outlets. So it's important that Twitter continues to grow as a free speech platform that includes left and right. But it's a home where where conservatives can go to get their views out and reach a broad audience, a broad audience that includes independents and voters who are persuadable. As conservatives, we must do everything we can to support free speech platforms like Elon's Twitter, Rumble, Truth Social, Getter, Frank Speech, and every other venture that seeks to maintain open and free political discourse. When the marketplace of ideas is open to all, conservatives win. Truth will eventually win the day. We are back. It's time to go on offense. Second up today. Assistant Illinois Secretary or Assistant Illinois State Attorney, rather, Jason Pohe has announced his resignation after 20 years as a prosecutor in Chicago. The reason? Well, he believes that the Soros-backed Chicago District Attorney, Kim Fox, has set the city of Chicago on the path to destruction. Well, one can't blame him for that assessment. Chicago just elected basically a communist mayor who seems hell bent on letting more criminals off the hook. You pair that with Soros-backed DA in the city. And the demise of Chicago and Cook County is pretty much well set in stone. A line from Mr. Pohe's email is telling. He, said, he wrote this, quote, After 20 years, I always kind of figured an email like this would start with, it is with a heavy heart that I leave. The truth is, I can't get out of here fast enough. Hmm. Now, the legal, isn't, legal profession isn't known for being conservative. There are certainly a few members of the bar who are stalwart conservatives, but we definitely are in the minority. One would have to imagine that the the proportion of lawyers who are conservative in a city like Chicago is particularly low. For all I know, Jason Bohe is a Democrat. His political affiliation, though, doesn't really matter. What matters is what he's telling us. He's a 20-year veteran prosecutor who believes that the left, led by Soros-backed prosecutor in Chicago, has placed our third largest city on the path to destruction, and he wants out. Now, we could clean up our cities tomorrow. It wouldn't be that difficult. If our leaders would put their efforts into prosecuting criminals and ensuring that lawbreaking has consequences into restoring the ethic of legal obligation and habituating the norm of law-abiding behavior, our cities would quickly become significantly safer. Rudy Giuliani's transformation of New York City demonstrates that this is true. But what are the odds of it actually happening? Well, unfortunately, not too high. And if it does happen, it's not going to happen anytime soon. At some point, one would think that, think that things would be so bad that leaders would be forced to act. But with a populace that is increasingly encouraged to focus only on its feelings and self-gratification and a media that covers up the truth, leftist leaders can largely inflict carnage on our cities without without fear of being called to account. So ultimately, it's not looking that good right now. The safe bet is to leave the cities if you can and move to suburban or better yet, rural communities. Keep your family safe and vote for change. Change at the ballot box and also with your feet. Third and finally today, by now everyone has heard about Jordan Neely, who died after he threatened to do violence against passengers on a New York City subway train and was then then restrained by a couple of good Samaritans, principally one individual, a U.S. Marine. Thanks to social media, a tsunami of information came crashing into the public sphere within minutes and hours of the incident, even as commentators and politicians jumped ahead of the facts and tried to tee up Mr. Neely as the next St. George Floyd. The usual race baiters like L. Sharpton used the death of Jordan Neely to further their own destructive agendas, of course, and within hours, AOC publicly declared the white Marine as a murderer. Now, I know what you're thinking. None of this is really surprising. We expect leftists to take every killing or tragedy where the people involved match their desired racial narratives and try to exploit it to the mas- maximum extent possible, regardless of, regardless of truth, regardless of logic. If they can spark civil unrest or riots, well, they think that's a wonderful thing. And if that's what you're thinking, that this isn't surprising, you would be exactly right. It isn't. However, lots of these commentators and politicians, they're not speaking about who Jordan Neely was. He was apparently known for his erratic behavior and threats and violence. And he was known for dressing up and dancing to Michael Jackson music. Several videos of those performances have surfaced. He was also apparently homeless and dealing with serious mental health problems. Now, this is sad, and we should obviously try to do more to help people afflicted with mental illness, including those who suffer from addiction, and particularly those folks. But here's something that's even less known, at least to those who get their information from the legacy media. Neely was apparently arrested over 40 times, 44, I believe. At the time of his death, Neely had an arrest warrant out, a warrant out for his arrest for a November 2021 case in which he was accused of assaulting a 67-year-old woman in the East Village. If Neely had been put in a submission hold for dancing like Michael Jackson, well, that would have been a very bad thing. If Neely was put in a submission hold because he was having a breakdown and threatening people with violence, well, that's a totally different story. And it it seems like that's exactly what actually happened. Public forums like Reddit show many subway passengers knew who Neely was and knew about his violent and unstable tendencies. But truly, this should not be a national news story. A local man who was threatening subway passengers died. Many much more terrible and tragic deaths, violent murders, take place in cities all across our country every single day. So why is Jordan Neely National News while all those terrible violent murders and victims of those violent murders get zero attention from the media? Well, it's because one political party is trying to push the ridiculous false narrative of systemic racism, attempting to divide Americans, sow chaos, and tear down our society. It's sad, terrible, and pathetic that the Democratic Party has sunk so low. Well, that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you like the content that we are providing, give us a like, subscribe to our channel. If you're listening to the audio podcast, give us a five-star rating. And be sure to tune in next time for Founding Principles with Doug Wardlow. And one more thing, remember this, the CCP must be destroyed.